Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the Spain and Fitz pod. We're going to get to the show, but first, a little pre-party action. I couldn't hold off any longer in making a very important PSA. It is uh, it is early evening on this Monday. The MLB playoffs is imminent. Uh, the Cubs get into action on Wednesday, 1 p.m. Chicago time. So day baseball at Wrigley Field hosting the Marlins. And I have a very important PSA, Fitz. I'm, in fact, already several days late on this because as soon as this matchup was announced as being official, my timeline on social media became full of Bartman gifts and Bartman (laughs) photos and Bartman jokes. Now, listen, that doesn't affect me. I wasn't there. Of course, I'm a fan of the team. Of course, it was a dark moment. But since the Bartman game, my team has won the World Series. I got to be a part of the greatest win in the history of the franchise, something that hadn't happened in over a century. I was at every single game of that World Series. I got to cover it. I got to also be a fan. It will always fill me with great, joyous, warm, cozy feelings. So you throwing Bartman at me slides right off. I'm still living the dream from 2016, which sounds like a bumper sticker that I'm about to make. But... Wait, 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 wait. Can we, can we, real saying. Living the dream since 2016. You are you are handling this so much better because let me tell you something. Coming off the weekend I just came off of, the number of people that think it's cute when my beloved Raiders lose to the Patriots, which is something <laughs> I've gotten used to, to then send me the tuck rule uh-huh. in any way. Over play, and like, over. Over and over and over again. Like, get the get the beep ready for, for all you guys. That, f- you guys, every one of you guys that does that, just it's, it is rare to hear this from me, but every single one of you can just eat it. I feel better. I feel drastically better. See, I, here's the thing, and this I think is a little bit of the difference between you and me. <laughs> I tend to spin toward the positive, oh, right? Funny. Like, I don't dwell on the worst. I also don't attack my opposing teams as much as I just celebrate my teams, where there are people whose joy is in the suffering of others, right? Their team wins and the first thing they do is go rip on the team and the people who follow them. I tend to just celebrate my peeps. So I'm super still excited about 2016. You could throw Bartman at me all you want. It was a dark time for our team. It was a dark time for our fans, but mostly for that guy. So stop dragging him into this. Like you don't get to simultaneously criticize Cubs fans for what went down during that game and after it, but then also be the people who keep bringing that guy up. Either it was shameful what we did and you're not going to repeat that or everybody's a And listen, it's 2020. I'm I'm aware that pretty much everyone and everything is a <laughs> but you can't criticize our actions, which were truly terrible and continue to be for anyone who still says anything bad about Bartman. But now you're doing it. So stop. Moratorium on Bartman. Don't send me gifts. Don't send me photos. Stop bringing that poor guy into it. It has been forever. There is no curse. The Cubs have won. The Marlins and the Cubs have not much of a history in terms of real rivalries. So you're digging for something and I get you're going for the easy joke. But this is a PSA from me and everybody who has an, a modicum of empathy and heart. Just give the guy a break and leave him out of it, okay? We can find plenty of other things to hate each other over. I can make fun of your empty stadium, which is empty even when there is no COVID outbreak. You can make fun of my team for being perpetual losers that went over a century without winning. We'll all find something to get mad about. But let's leave Bartman out of this, okay? That was that was well said, by the way. Thank you. You were far more professional than I was, by the way. <laughs> 
No, still fuck them though. The people. <laughs> no. um, Fitz, you had mentioned that you might jump on the Cubs bandwagon. We've been hosting on and off. You know our relation. We were on a break. Yeah. Uh, but you you haven't ever really established a baseball team since I've known you. Well, yeah, and and you know what? This one humble brag uh, had the opportunity to play Wrigley Field twice, and nice. the, the second time I played it. You know they have really stringent rules. You can't touch the ivy on the walls, and I was like, no, I'm I'm gonna take a piece of ivy off the walls. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and they were like, we're gonna kick you out if you take the ivy off the walls. And so we distracted a security guard, and I grabbed like the one little leaf. <laughs> so I've got like one little leaf from. But like the more I think about it, I don't have an allegiance to any particular baseball team. And we love working together, and I love the city of Chicago. Like, why yeah. not? I mean, yeah. it, it, there is no professional team in Vegas. There's no professional team in Nashville. Those are the two cities that I have the most history with. Well, I, eventually. I, you're going to hop over to Justin Timberlake's new team, right? That he's going to try to get going in the Nashville area. You know, but there's so much fair weather. Like, I appreciate, as a long-suffering Raiders fan, I appreciate sort of what it means to go through a lot of years of suck okay. to get to a year to, to, to get yeah, to some level of Yeah, you don't want to jump on board yeah. a clean slate. Yeah, you, need, no. you need some suffering yeah, I, with, with your sports. <laughs> I, and let's be honest, I don't think, and I've been to most environments around most baseball stadiums. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do that. I don't know that there's a cooler experience in Wrigleyville. Like, yeah. just going in and it's hanging awesome. out in Wrigleyville is so awesome. I love to drink. I love to hang out with people. So why not become a Cubs fan? Although, I got to warn you, every fan I root for eventually loses. So I'm not sure yeah. you want this in your life. Yeah, I already think I mentioned to you that as strong as your uh, terribleness is when it comes to affecting the future for a team, there's no way it's strong enough to affect what is uh, just a lifetime aura of, of negativity and losing around the Cubs. Now, like I said, 2016 changed everything, but I still think you as one man couldn't possibly have any effect over the fates that control the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs victory in 2016 has literally been used as, as evidence that we're in some sort of massive simulation where they just, they were like, let's put some fires over here. Let's make a reality TV show. The president, Oh, let's have the Cubs win the world series. Are we going too far? <laughs> we're going to, well, let's just see what happens. And here we are. 2020 is what happened. That is how absurd it was for to imagine that the Cubs finally winning. Uh, there were pigs flying and hell was frozen over, et cetera, et cetera. You, one man, Jason Fitz, are not capable of affecting the fates of the Cubs. So welcome to the bandwagon. Enjoy. You know what? Um, I'm, I'm yes. taking it. And I think you're right. Maybe my luck is turning anyway. Like, I'm a I'm a Vegas Aces fan. They won right. the other night. They extended their series right at the end. And frankly, I think that the entire organization moving to Las Vegas for my beloved Raiders is also kind of a win on a lot of level so yeah. maybe things are turning around well and the other good thing is is as a t- as a show we want to pr- present some sort of you know uh united front and as i begin what will be a, a a two to three game war with uh with billy and chris from the levitard show and if you know dan and Stu and mike or any of them feel like hopping on and supporting their local team uh they can jump in on this hatred too but if i'm gonna shit talk those guys i need you for backup and it needs to be a united front so this is a cubs show and we are now against and vehemently hating Billy, Chris, and anybody down in the Levitard show that wants to uh, fight for the fish. Yeah, I'm all in on this. I mean, that was, all you had to do is tell me that it meant that I could go toe-to-toe with those guys, and I would have been in from the get-go. <laughs> I mean, we could have had this right out. Like, I like creating, you know, little brother in me likes coming in and just stirring the so I feel like yeah, that, yeah. that this is this is my moment. I look forward to me coming chin to chin with Billy and Chris and you be hiding behind me. Yeah, a, uh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Taking little swipes from behind and then ultimately retreating. But I will I be running my mouth so loud while I do. <laughs> like Stu has got nothing on me when it comes to just trash talking well, and I'm then walking away the from me. I'm glad you took the weakest link. I yeah. appreciate that. You're welcome, America. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> 
Uh, great Spade and Fitz coming up. Lots of NFL to get to and uh, and all sorts of good stuff. So stick around. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, here we are sitting, we're getting ready to do a show, Sarah, getting ready to talk about this big Monday night matchup that we'll get into in a minute, in a minute, but the news cycle right now is dominated by the breaking news that Doc Rivers is out as Clippers head coach. He's been there since June of 2013. The news comes as a surprise to some. Remember, they, uh, they left the bubble earlier than some expected and Rivers went to Twitter to post a statement where he said, in part, thank you Clipper Nation for allowing me to be your coach and for all your support and help make this a winning franchise. It was a winning franchise, but not winning enough apparently for them to che- to keep this together and to run it back. Yeah, this is a tough one because not only is he incredibly respected as a man, but also as a coach. There's no argument that he's a great coach. Unfortunately, he has the dubious distinction of having blown several 3-1 playoff series leads. He's a guy who saw not quite enough success when he had that core of Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in the Lob City team. Clearly not enough success for the excitement surrounding getting Kawhi and Paul George together. Now, you can, in every case, look at the players on the court having to pull through and be effective in whatever Doc draws up. But ultimately, Fitz, you get a certain number of shots, and at some point they say, we need a new voice. And they are, in in this moment, because of the contracts of Kawhi and Paul George, in a win-now situation. So they had no time to figure out if this was an anomaly because of the bubble, if this was mental health-related, if this was need, just need to switch out a piece or two and you've got it, the coach isn't the issue. They didn't really have time for that. And, and because his tenure there had been lengthy enough and they'd tried him in the front office and the coach and everything else— As much as I'm shocked by this, there's a part of me that says, okay, I mean, he had a real good run there, and on multiple occasions with different sets of players, just couldn't quite get it done. He'll go bring that voice and that talent somewhere else, and maybe the clip will, something will just snap with somebody else in there. Well, and you make a great point about the squandered lead, not only in the series, obviously, that they lost, but the fact that they lost so many double-digit leads. Uh, 16, 19, and 12-point leads were surrendered in the last three games of the series as they were eliminated from the bubble. This one's tricky for me because on paper it all makes sense, Sarah, and I I look at it and you're totally right. Uh, The history has to matter here. Where he's failed in the past, when you see it again, it's easy to to piece all of it together, and that absolutely makes sense and seems correct. There's just a part of me, and maybe this is just sort of the, the 2020 part of me, that looks around and says, man, in the bubble, I mean, things were so weird. It was so difficult to get everybody, you know, together on one page. Should we be more forgiving for what happens there? I mean, I, I struggle to figure out who's going to be a better coach that's out there. And maybe I'm, I'm grasping at straws in fairness and it's just time. It just seems so harsh to make a change given the conditions that 2020 gave to all of these teams. Yeah, I agree with you. But again, the numbers on Doc are not specific to this season. You can look at some and, and he, he's a perfect example of you hold up a couple numbers and you say, how in the world could they do this, right? He's uh, 11th all-time in in head coaching wins, 943 of those. He had a 63% win percentage in the regular season in his seven seasons with the Clippers. But you look at that 63% win percentage, fifth best in the NBA and the best by any team without a conference finals appearance. That's where those good numbers get in the way. If your numbers are that good in the regular season, why can't you turn that into conference finals appearances? And then you look at series clinching games, right? So this is like clutch minutes for a player. This is for a coach. Are you drawing up the right things and are you putting your players in in a position to succeed? Three and eight in those games. That's tied for the worst by a single coach with any team. This is a guy who had multiple chances and 
maybe outperformed expectations at time in the regular season, but continually underperformed when it mattered most down the stretch. And so that's why I understand even with 2020 being, uh, you know, brought to you by the makers of Firefest, why he still was, <laughs> you know, someone that was going to have a bit of a hot seat if things didn't pan out this year. I just love it that he's one of seven coaches with at least 90 playoff wins. However, of those seven, he has the second worst winning percentage. Like you're yeah. so right. Like you the can numbers. Sit- like you could have half of them and be like, "What? How did they do this dog dirty?" And then the other be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that checks out." I mean, it, it, this is this is tricky, and it's going to be interesting to see what's next. Obviously, for the Clippers, because uh, right now this will be a key hire. I can only imagine. You mentioned the contracts of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I can only imagine that they're going to have uh, some hardcore discussions with those guys on who they want brought in. But I would also imagine that Doc, for the success or failure years he's had immediately catapults to the top of the list for a team like the Sixers that's turning around with a lot of talent saying hey we need to find the right voice I mean a name like Doc coming in seems like it would be a win in some ways but again it just depends on which one of these stats like if if Philly fans are harsh like they could look at some of it and see it as a positive or some of it Uh, and, and negative I mean I think I think any team getting Doc should be excited about it um but I want Doc to also go somewhere that isn't so extra. Can we just get him somewhere with a little less drama than the 76ers? Come on. Oh, that's probably a fair point. There's a lot, obviously, to react to. I mean, nothing to say about that small game in New England with the Raiders. There's nothing to react to there, but there are a lot of takes to react to. This is one of our favorite things to do on Monday is to take some of the takes that we're hearing and sort of figure out, is it good or is it hot? So this is our our favorite Monday thing to do here. Good take or hot take. Sarah, are you ready for this? I am ready. Okay, let's go. We'll start with a little bit of Mike Tannenbaum. We all love Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider. He was on NFL primetime on ESPN radio, and he had a take about the Bills and Josh Allen. This is what he said. I like Josh Allen, but I'm still maybe in the minority where I think we have a ways to go here just from a standpoint. You know, he had two more turnovers today, an interception, a fumble lost. And look, Aaron Dowell's going to do that to a lot of people. He makes a lot of plays with his feet, puts a lot of stress on opposing defense, he's hard to tackle. His accuracy down the field has improved. Uh, Stefan Diggs has obviously been a monster acquisition. But to take that next step, there, there are some quarterbacks, like when you talk about Russell Wilson right now, Patrick Mahomes, what we're going to see on Monday night with Lamar Jackson, they're playing at such a high level that there's really no margin for error. So I would put Josh Allen in the group behind that. And Sean McDermott, their head coach, has done a really nice job building that team defensively. They're really solid, especially up the middle. So I think they're going to be a tough out, but I don't see them in that necessarily that top group of teams or quarterbacks. That's a big take, Sarah. What do you think? I am tempted to say hot take because uh, I've been so impressed with Josh Allen and the numbers are so incredible, right? His 12 touchdowns through three weeks is the most in franchise history through the first three weeks. Uh, 311 passing yards, four touchdowns, one of those rushing. As a fantasy quarterback for me, continues to prove me right for all those who said I needed to get a new QB when I posted my uh, my draft. Um, but I will say, compared to the other teams and co- quarterbacks that he mentioned, uh, there is still a tier above. There is still a level that he could reach. So that's a good take, partly because, as we like to say, Josh Allen sometimes forgets to football, and that happened again. They still got the win. He was still the reason for them to finish off the Rams. But there were moments where he did those things that you say, as soon as you clean those up, you are going to be amongst the best 
He's just not there yet. Yeah, I totally agree with you that it's a good take and not a hot take. And and I thought the Rams were going to beat the Bills. Obviously, that didn't happen. I thought Josh Allen was really great yesterday. I also think it's it's fair to say, hey, my favorite team's quarterback is great, and he's playing really well, and he's not as good as Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Like, the, both things can be true. Like, the Bills can be a very good team, but that doesn't mean that they're as good as the Chiefs or the Ravens yet. And I, I think those are all fair statements to make. So we're, we're both in agreement that yeah. uh, that was a good one. All right. Hey, speaking of really yes. quick, by the way, I know that you thought that the Rams were going to win. I was 6-0 and again, so I'm now 12-0 and in our six-pack of picks. I believe you were 3-2-1 and because of the tie, yeah, right? Yeah, not my best week. 3-2-1. My- and one. So uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you that we didn't bet anything so far because once again, I'm just, you know, blowing you out of the water. Do you an embarrassment though? Which yeah. is, by the way, yeah. uh, we've made it this far into the show without acknowledging that you just destroyed me in fantasy football. Oh, that was coming. Too. That was okay, coming. Okay, good, good, good. I just get ahead of it. I get ahead of it. That's what we got. All right, like stick with the this good take or hot take. Oh my God, she is just crushing me. All right, Keyshawn this morning on Keyshawn. Sean J. Will and Zubin had a take about Sam Darnold that might be a little fiery. Check it out. The one job that you were brought here for was to teach the quarterback how to be a quarterback because you were supposed to be this offensive genius, expert, innovator, Sean McVay type person. Like if you took Sean McVay and dropped him in New York right now, Sam Darnold would look like he on his way to the Hall of Fame. I, I mean, that is a statement right there. So what, any thoughts okay. on this one? Yeah, that is a hot take. Thanks. The Flames are already here. Um, first of all, I don't remember anyone describing Adam Gase as a Sean McVay type. There were certainly conversations about him being good with quarterbacks, but not as an overall coach in the way that McVay is. Um, and I, it's impossible to separate Darnold from this team. It's not a good team. It's it's simply not this 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 is a team that is going to get a player like Sam Darnold in his head right away. I mean, he had three interceptions, two pick sixes, and a red zone interception. He has regressed this year. His happy feet have gotten worse because he's afraid at any moment he's either going to get sacked or make the wrong decision. How much of that could be fixed by a better coach? A lot of it. But looked like he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. I never saw Sam Darnold a part of him that revealed uh, that, that there's a superstar in waiting that just needs a better hand. He absolutely could improve, but let's take it things too far. I also don't think it's an accident that he's saying that about a quarterback that came out of USC. I mean, this right, is Keyshawn right. talking point, about. Good point, good point. I mean, I'm just saying Jared Goff, I think, had more potential coming out of college than Sam mm-hmm. Darnold did, too. So I think uh, Keyshawn got a little bit of fire. He got a little fiery right there, which is, which is okay. We're analyzing takes here. Spain and Fitz, uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's get in a little Dan Orlovsky here on a team that you know a ton about. This is what Dan Orlovsky had to say about Mitch Trubisky and the Bears. Mitchell Trubisky, barring injury to Nick Foles, will never play again for the Chicago Bears. I mean, nobody better to ask than you on this one, Sarah. Hot or not? So, I have to say hot, and here's why. I do think he couches it by saying barring injury to Foles. Now, that's the biggest thing you have to put out there. Um, even if Foles plays well and, and maintains you know, a level of play that would keep the starting job, there's always the risk of injury because we know his past. Even without that, though, I don't know that this... Because we know that Mitch started the season, 
This is not a runaway for fools. This, I don't think, is Ryan Pace saving pay, uh, face. Ryan Pace saving face. Say that 20 times fast. Um, I don't think that's what this was about. When, he, when Mitch earned the job, I think they saw enough development that they wanted it to be him. They wanted the continuity over the past couple seasons. So if Foles was far and away that much better, he would have proved so, and they would have made good on the amount of picks and money and stuff that they spent to get him in the offseason. They didn't. He sat. They brought him in. He looked just like Mitch Trubisky is at the end of the first week, right? They both were, <laughs> eh, and then you throw three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and you get the comeback win and everybody's happy. I need to see a lot more from Foles to know that he's going to earn and keep this job for the whole season. There might even be a time when he's not injured. He looks terrible. They make the switch again and so on and so on, back and forth, back and forth for eternity without ever establishing a true franchise quarterback in Chicago. Oh, man. Look, I, I need this to not be a hot take because, frankly, Sarah, you may not know this, but my favorite football football player as a kid growing up. Not team, you know what that is. My favorite football player was Jim McMahon. And I'm telling you, it was shades of Jim McMahon seeing the the non-jersey with the visor and like the one glove on the left. Oh my God. (laughs) I was so nostalgic for that. Like I just wanted to watch like old WWF wrestling after that the whole Um, night. Nick Foles would be so happy to hear that you're giving him McMahon swagger. He has never heard that. (laughs) Uh, Well, that is true. That is the first. All right. One other uh, good take, hot take. There was a lot of conversation about the other side of this. Fire Dan Quinn. The Falcons can never win with him. What do you think? Is that a good take or a hot take? God, how mean was that? I forget who posted it, but someone wrote, it's a good thing at least that the Falcons treat every game like the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's just so unbelievably mean. Oh, my God. That's so good. Um, honestly, it feels like they are still in their heads from that, and at some point, that's a leadership issue. You need to get them to move on. You need to get them not to pucker at the end of these games and at some point, the voice just doesn't care anything anymore. After this many defeats, you got to change them up. Yeah, and that's, you know, I totally agree with you. That's not a hot take. And I said last week on a phone where I was doing with one station, no, you don't fire Dan Quinn yet. Then you see it again, and it's like, man, I don't know how you fix the feeling on a sideline of knowing you're going to find a way to blow it without bringing in another voice on it. Mm-hmm. And that's tough. I never root for and coaches it's not to just be fired. Him, yeah. But something got to change, and it's not going to be Matt Ryan. Joining us now on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line, always grateful to have her on for a few minutes here, NBPA Executive Director Michelle Roberts. Michelle, let's just start with the congratulations. We've made it to the NBA Finals in the bubble without an outbreak, without issues of coronavirus. A tremendous example for other sports and beyond sports. Uh, Can you just speak a little bit to probably uh, the relief and the celebration of getting to this point? Well, we're still keeping our fingers crossed. Right, not there yet. Wood, right? <laughs> we're, we're so close. And so I, I, I couldn't be more optimistic, but it ain't over, as they say, until it's over. No, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, I, I did anticipate that at the end of the day we'd be able to, I was optimistic, complete the season. But I frankly thought we'd have many more issues than clearly we've had. Um, and so... You know, together with just having some great people put together a terrific protocol, the players buying into and cooperating and, and taking seriously the protocol has made all the difference in the world. So, as I say, we're not quite done, but it looks like we're going to make it to the finish line, and I couldn't be more delighted. Michelle, one of the things Sarah and I have talked a lot about on the show is above me on COVID-19, there's also such a mental strain on what this has been like for players, and it's something Paul George mm-hmm. talked a little about. What have your mm-hmm. conversations been like with players that are trying to cope with this mental strain of being in a bubble away from such normalcy? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it would be tough for anybody. Um, but I, the one thing I've been mindful of is, you know, I'm, and I don't mind saying it anymore, I guess you, I'm 64 years old. I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of stuff and have, I'm old enough to know that you know, we'll get by. Um, so having something as unexpected as COVID happen has had an impact on me, but it still happens at a time in my life when I know that we'll be able to power through. I have watched these young men who... Like the rest of us, were completely taken aback by this by this by this thing. Had their lives completely turned around for what seems like forever when you're here. I mean, one would say, "Oh, it's only a couple of months," but when you're here, it's timeless. It, it seems as if it's never going to end. And then to do that largely without the support of family and friends is terrific. Um, again, I don't have any young children that I that need to hug me and I need to be hugged by me every day. These guys, many of them do. And so I have been and remain concerned about the, the isolation that they've had to endure. And, and it's, again, one of the reasons why I applaud and, and, and appreciate the sacrifice they've made because this is, not, this is not easy. It certainly hasn't been easy for me, but I think it's been easier for me, frankly, because, again, I got some years on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have a young family that's waiting for me to come home. It's, it's an extraordinary sacrifice, and uh, I hope all of our fans and the entire sports community appreciates it. Michelle Roberts is with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, NBPA Executive Director. Uh, beyond that, I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with players about their expressions mm-hmm. of protest and the ways that they've decided to continue with their activism from within the bubble. There were some conversations about that moment uh, when, when, when games were put on hold in order to figure out what the next steps were. How have the majority of those conversations gone? It feels from the outside like there is such a connection between leadership and the players in this league, but I imagine it's not as easy as maybe the final result looks on the outside. Is there conflict in, in exactly how they want to express themselves or in how the league wants to present itself? You know, it's not as much um, internal conflict as among the players. I mean, the common common ground for the players is that they are all in the same pl- in the same place and being outraged by the conduct that's taking place, specifically in the area of, of, of police misconduct. So there's that common ground. There's also tremendous frustration. And again, it's not, it's not directed at each other. It's directed at what's happening outside the bubble and what's happening in our communities. Um, having said that, there have been some, in my view, completely healthy and, and necessary discussions about how to, how to take, the, take this thing to the next level. Are we distracting? Are we, in fact, highlight, highlighting? Are we using our platforms appropriately? Is the game making it easier for people to ignore it? So those kinds of conversations were taking place before the bubble. Certainly, at the time that we stopped the games, there was a, a two, two days worth of almost nonstop conversation with the players. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to note that the, that the anger has not been directed at any source other than where it's appropriately directed, and that is at the right. people who are creating these kinds of con- conflicts in our communities. Um, and, and it just adds to, you know, it's another layer of what the players have had to had to contend with while they're down here. This ain't just playing basketball. Uh, not at all. Um, everything I've already talked about, and now on top of that, the, the actual angst and anguish that the players are experiencing because of what's happening in their communities has been real. And so this is a summer that they will not soon forget. 
With that being said, Michelle, I mean, you, you've got to balance players that are in the bubble that want to have their voice heard, players that are not in the bubble that are still trying to grow and have their opportunity. And you've also got to balance all of that while you plan a season for next year, just playing basketball in general. So how do you balance all of those different elements? Well, what's odd to me, I mean, I hate that this thing happened, but let's not get it twisted. I hate that it happened. Having said that, um, the ability to be here in the bubble and have the conversations with the players has has made, in many ways, my job easier. I, I have a sense of you know, where, they're, where they are. Um, I've, I've had a ton of conversations with players outside of the bubble. For no reason, other reason, there's been a, la- a lag in, 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 in their playing, and so there are more, more opportunities for them to interact with me and with and, and with the rest of my staff. So, in some in some regards, um, as, as, as as many many layered as my work is of late, um, it's also some, to some extent made easier because I have a, a, a more direct line of communication with the players. You know, look, this is not a job that is nine to five never was, and the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, of course, it makes it makes it even more clear that it's not. Having said that, um, it is what I signed up for. I don't complain about the, the fact that there's more to do. This is this is the, this is the life I've chosen, and if I was doing it, or perhaps working for some other group of people, maybe I wouldn't be as as, as charged charged up about it. But I love these guys, and so being able to be a part of making you know, their lives uh, both professional and personal better is a joy to me. It's Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. So you have all these great one on one conversations, as access to players, um, maybe more so than ever. What kind of conversations are going on with Adam Silver and those folks, and then on the PA side, NBPA side, about a start date for next season, and what are the things that are affecting decision-making there? Yeah, you know, now that we've gotten sort of through the the, the Rubicon in terms of being able to get through this this, this season and and the playoffs, um, those discussions are heating up. And, and and it's somewhat frustrating because all of us are trying to figure out what makes sense, not having a, a, a better sense of what this, this virus is going to do, uh, not having a better sense of what you know, the various states are going to allow us to do, trying to figure out if we have to do something bubble-like again, uh, even figuring out an appropriate time to start. I mean, heck, they can't even open schools in most jurisdictions. How do we figure out a way to open our season? So. Again, the talks are now about to about to accelerate in terms of in terms of, the, of sitting down and, and having them. But you know, there, there, there are a ton of contingencies that we each have to sort of anticipate, um, and we can't do it in a vacuum. We have to do it knowing that other stakeholders have a great deal of impact on how we can move forward. Um, so you know, stay tuned. I I do think that. As I believe you guys are reporting accurately that the league has agreed that it's not likely to happen this year. Um, right. But next year is right around the corner, so there's not a whole lot of time to, to waste. But we've got to take some risks. We've got to make some predictions that may or may not be accurate. And then I hopefully have had the flexibility and, and be nimble enough to alter um, our, 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 our movements depending upon how the virus behaves, how... Uh, the various venues are allowing us to 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 to, to work. Uh, I, I think for me, and my my code word or my headline going forward is flexibility. Speaking of that flexibility, Michelle, there were reports back in March that you were considering retirement. A search for your successor was happening. Can you give us an update on what you've decided and what your timeline looks like? Uh, 
But uh, yeah, well, it was, the reports were mm-hmm. accurate. And, yeah. and, um, she was ready. She had the wine. She had the wine ready. We talked about it last time. There's no, endless amounts ready. of wine waiting. I, I, absolutely, no question. I, I was ready because I, I was. I was. This, it has nothing to do with my my work here. I love, 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 love my job. But it's just something I had been for many years of the view that I was going to do. That is, retire before sixty five. So that was the plan. Um, it's it, frankly, it's kind of still the plan. Um, I it, obviously I didn't think it was a good idea to leave in the midst of this, and so we did we did put a, put a, put a put a pin on uh, the efforts to identify potential candidates to be my successor. But they've, they've not been abandoned. I mean, I, we, we are this. <laughs> we will get through this, and I will stop working. I, I deserve a retirement, and I fully intend to have it. So, <laughs> well, and, you know, once we sort of get through the next few. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I'm hard-pressed to put a date on it, but we have not stopped looking for a successor. Every company, every PA, every entity has to have a succession plan, and this PA is no exception. So we've, we've not abandoned that plan. It's the right, it's the right thing to do, um, and we'll resume as soon as we can. But I'm not, you know, I'm not rushing. Um, I don't want to leave until I feel and, 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 the, and the players feel that that it, it's it's time but you know you don't you don't abandon ship and i'm not planning yeah. to do that well that's a good thing because uh there's still plenty to navigate even if you've made it this far particularly concerning the start of next season how long the season yeah. is how it affects the olympics what does that mean for the season after and the season after a lot to get to uh you might never retire michelle but you know what uh, <laughs> uh, you can still you can still sneak the wine on the side um well we'll cross our fingers for you that everything gets settled in and you'll have a chance to relax thanks so much for giving us some time we always appreciate it you know it's always a good time to talk to you guys you all take care thank you, you so much michelle thanks bye-bye the most forgettable and unforgettable moments of your football weekend it's walk of shame the fifth interception of the game staked his claim gets hit as he throws in the pass is caught what a catch on Spain and Fitz. That's right. Let's start with the embarrassing uh, Fitz. And if you want to get going, I'm happy to hand off to you for who you thought was most deserving of this Monday walk of shame. Well, I'm going to take. I'm going to start by throwing the entire run defense for my beloved Raiders under a <laughs> massive bus. There was a great article on the Athletic that pointed out that there were times that the running backs were handed the ball and they would just turn around and say. There's no one here and be able to go wherever they wanted to. The run fits, as they like to say from the analytics crew, were absolutely an abomination <laughs> from the Raiders run defense. The, the angles, the discipline was awful and it was the key to losing the game. I expected them to lose. I didn't expect their run defense to be that much of an embarrassment. So You're an embarrassment, love. Walk of shame there for sure. <laughs> Yeah, there were a number of people uh, that were up for this honor, a dubious honor. I was going to go with DK Metcalf, but thankfully for him, the Seahawks won and he scored the winning touchdown, which made up for him trying to stroll into the end zone and losing it on a touchback. Uh, never a great play. Also, the Giants were in there because the 49ers with, were, were without their QB1, RB1, RB2, TE1, TE2, w, uh, WR1, CB1, CB2, CB4, DE1, DE3, DE4, DE5, LB2, WR4, WR5, C1, and they still lost to the 49ers. The Giants are trash. Wow. You're an embarrassment, Unbelievable. But still, I'm still going to give it to somebody that did even worse than lose. They tied, and that's to the Eagles. I, I think the Bengals also should have worked harder to go for it, but at least that was sort of a moral victory. The Eagles needed a win over the Bengals for so many different reasons. 
at least they didn't try and 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 like the other teams tried and just sucked. The Eagles didn't even try. They had a chance. They spoiled the 59-yard field goal attempt because of a false start and they didn't try for it anyway. They just quit on the team and punted and played for the tie. Brutal. They were so bad that they made our boy on the red zone get opinionated. He only tells you the facts and instead he was irate at these two teams for not trying for a win. Eagles Wow. You're an embarrassment, though, to be honest. If you made Scott Hansen get up in his business about about what, what he thought he was watching and not just give you the facts, you're, you're bad. You're in trouble. I mean, just just side note for him, they're only half game out of first place. There, there right, you go. There's right, your hope, right, Freak. Right. Oh, my God. That's such trash. All right. Should we do the other side and do like a positive one here? I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone right. who staked his claim. We're claim. I'm, I'm going to stake the claim here for Matt LaFleur, head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And I'm one that has loudly questioned what that offense was going to look like, how good it can be. We've all questioned the draft strategy for them. Well, at this point, LaFleur is 16-3 and so far in his career. That already ties him Ooh. for the second most wins in the first 20 games for Ooh. any NFL coach in history. He's still got one more uh, one more game to get that extra win. And they've got the fifth most points of any team ever through three games. So you start talking about what the Packers are doing offensively and Aaron Jones being essentially Derrick Henry part two for him in that offense. Matt LaFleur is doing special things with that offense. It has made the Packers absolutely more legit than any of us expected and he has staked his claim. That is a very good call and also worth noting that there's been some drama around that hiring from when he first arrived and could Aaron Rodgers call the audibles he wanted and everything else, then the drama around the drafting of love. And so not only being able to call the right plays and use his team well and get Aaron Rodgers looking as good as he has, but also just dealing with you know the media and everything else in the gig uh, very well. So uh, that's a great call by you. My stake to his claim is a, more of a deep cut. And, and I, I'm watching the Vikings continue to be bad and manage to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in a game that finally looked like they might catch a win. And it's easy to criticize Kirk Cousins and the rest of that team. And so few people on that team doing good things will ever get credit because we're so focused on the bad that I thought Xavier Rhodes uh, would be, you know, enough, enough to, you know, uh, to, to get credit for, for more than just the things that, uh, you know, I mean, we're going to focus on the, the people who do the bad things in games like that. But when Xavier Rhodes uh, comes in and goes against his old team and just crushes for the Colts, he should get more credit than just Kirk Cousins stinks. It should also be two interceptions, including a 44-yard return for a touchdown because of his own skill and not just because Kirk Cousins serves him up. I love that call, by the way. That's, that's, that's I didn't cool. spit it out very carefully, but you know what I meant. What I'm trying to say is we're always going to focus on how bad the losing team is when it's something like the Jets or the Giants or the Vikings, and we're not going to pay attention to the good things on the opposing side, and Xavier Rose look great. Now, well, look at that. All right, so I'm going to do sort of the opposite. Let's. Uh, I'm going to go for another walk of shame here. Okay, wow. Yeah, but I'm going to go for a walk of shame from a winning team. All right, you Ooh. like this? The okay. walk of shame goes to the Seahawks defense, which now becomes the first team to allow 450 passing yards in a win twice in a season. Like The joke mm. is that Russell Wilson's going to have to throw 80 touchdowns. Will he throw 80 touchdowns? Well, he might have to for them to win enough games. I mean, their, their defense has not been what we're used to. They take the walk of shame for just a again, falling behind for their team. You're an yeah, embarrassment, we're, though. We're getting a lot of uh, submissions on at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain. Uh, Andy's Hot Fries Simp says, the entire Meadowlands Stadium, the Jets, 
the Giants, the players, the coaches, the turf, everything about that stadium. That is a very good answer. Uh, Mike says this should be renamed Dan Quinn presents the walk of shame. Uh, Michael Jett says Dan can't win Quinn. Uh, lots of people going after the Falcons for yet another blown lead. I, I quite enjoyed it, Fitz. I don't know if you caught any of it, but I was a big fan of the uh, the Falcons yet again blowing a giant win because it benefited my Bears, of course. Uh, Sam Darnold getting a, a puke emoji from somebody, um, you know, future Hall of Famer, according to some. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's incredible to even think of that. And and look, I know Chris Mitchell's not going to want to hear this, but I just don't think we know if Darnold's any good or not because he's stuck in an area yeah. where we can't figure it's it hard out. To You're tell. an embarrassment, though. Uh, somebody went NBA, Brad Stevens. Uh, Chad Rink says, think he's a great coach, but he handled the heat zone down the stretch terribly. No movement, no cutters, no one at the high post. Bad shot selection around the arc. The middle was wide open. He's better than that. I appreciate you bringing in some NBA talk uh, into this walk of shame. It's it's free reign, Fitz. Anyone, anyone could get it. I mean, Doc Rivers just got it today, and he didn't even participate in the last couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally doing the walk of shame. His team hasn't been in it. <laughs> That's amazing. By the way, uh, a positive note, by the way, uh, I got to give another one to uh, Matt Hasselbeck. I don't know if you saw this on NFL Countdown on Sunday morning. He did a great job of talking about uh, pain-numbing injections in your ribs and why it's actually common to be concerned about right. a punctured lung from it. And it was such a real and honest moment and great analysis. It was a moment where I just look around and I realized that some of the guys that work with us are just incredibly good at describing what we need to know in the moment we need to know it. Yeah, you know, uh, staked his claim then for him. Another walk of shame is the DPI call and the referees in the uh, Rams-Bills game. Oh, that was trash. Also, how about LSU? Remember I mentioned, let's get a look at this team, what they look like with a completely different roster, only five returning starters. They take the L. Walk of shame for them, or we're going to see a little bit more? Oh, no, that's a huge walk of shame for them. I mean, you can't get destroyed the way they got destroyed. That was <laughs> The SEC put out a lot of embarrassing football this weekend for all of the trash talking, a lot of embarrassing football. Yeah, what, what, what we're going to end up saying at the end is, as usual, you know, you kind of got to throw out the records this year and go with the eye test and everything else because it's going to be ugly early on. There's going to be some weird upsets, and you're still going to have to make those uh, playoff selections uh, probably with a, a bit of a different criteria this year, I'd yeah. have to guess. And Take this claim to Kyle Trask and the Florida Gators. They're one of the few that came out and just absolutely whooped up and looked great doing it. Listen, I think Stake this claim to any teams where both sides got their players on the field and managed to avoid coronavirus Amen. outbreaks because the more I see of that, the more it is difficult to enjoy some of those games. It's getting wild. Don't forget game one of the NBA Finals Wednesday night, 8.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio, 9 Eastern on ABC. We're joined now by David Fisdale, ESPN NBA analyst, former NBA head coach and former Heat assistant. Knows a lot about the league and these teams particularly. Coach, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, my friend. Uh, I guess we'll start with what it's like in your mind. What's the biggest challenge of being in the NBA Finals when you're particularly in the bubble? Well, that's a great question. Thanks for having me, first off. Uh, you know, obviously I, I can't can't say firsthand, but I would think that, you know, the longevity of being in the bubble and just being out of touch with everything that is normal to you, because uh, you can't bring your whole family. You can only bring so many people, and I think that is probably the most difficult part of it is just being detached from what is normal every single day, uh, um, that you're, you know, in the season, seeing your family, being with your kids, seeing them off to school, things like that. And so I think COVID has really put a twist on that. And, and to these teams' credit, 
and the coaching staff's credit and the players' credit, and, and obviously to Adam Silver for pulling it off, they've really dug in and got themselves into the position they're in. Coach, you worked under head coach Eric Spolstra with the Heat. He's certainly not underrated at this point. I think people are aware of he how great not he is. Be. <laughs> right. Uh, people are aware of how great he is, but I guess there's always room to shower even more praise on him. From working with him, what do you think the secret is to his ability to take particularly this group of players as far as he has? Uh, just uh, two. I would say two things really stand out to me the most is, is Spo is the most consistent human being I've ever been around. Hmm. Like he, he, he shows up. Like more than anybody I've ever met, Spo shows up. You lose a game, win a game, you're on a losing streak, you're on a winning streak. Spo is the same guy, and he's going to be plugging away at it the same way. And 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 I think ultimately, you know, his pedigree of who surrounded him and and, and the experiences that he's had that had, that has engulfed him and the players and he, he absorbs all of those experiences better than, than most people that I've ever been around. He really applies what he learns from people. And so when you got a guy like that, uh, who, who is constantly evolving and growing, um, and, that, and is, and is truly consistent in his manner and his behavior and his approach, uh, and his competitiveness and his preparation, uh, you know, that's the makings of a great coach. And, and what you're seeing right now is a guy is a, is a Hall of Famer doing his job and really leading the team to a place that no one expected the team to be. It's Payne and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to David Fisdell, ESPN NBA analyst, former NBA head coach. So uh, what did we all miss when we looked at the Heat coming into this? Same thing I missed and that everybody, <laughs> that everybody else missed is that you don't need that super, superstar to get to where they are. You need a great team. And what Pat and the front office has built uh, from at, you know Andy Ellsberg and Adam Simon and Nick and Shane Battier, um, you know, what they put together for Spo. And they really built a team that fits his personality and who he is as a human being. And then Spo and the staff just did a masterful job of putting all of those guys in position to be successful. And that and that's not easy. Think about it. We all just sit back and take for granted that Andre Iguodala is a champion and he had a big game last night. What we don't realize is he was playing the five. <laughs> <laughs> and we take it for granted that Spo made the decision to put Andre Iguodala at the five two games in a row against Ennis Cantor, who was one of the most brutalizing players physically in the NBA. And it paid off because he understood his personnel and his team and he knew how to utilize them and what they can handle in different scenarios. And so what you're seeing is a guy who really, um, he works at it, but he's, he's talented. Uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of players and coaches that work hard at their craft and you, you marvel at those guys who work their way through. But I think sometimes it's okay to say that somebody is really talented at what they do. And I think sometimes that's what gets overlooked with Spo is that he has a talent for seeing how to develop a player and for how to utilize a player. And finally, I'm really happy to see that he's starting to really get some just do, um, you know, about what he can what he can bring to the table. 
Yeah, certainly easier to get credit when LeBron James isn't on your team and you're still taking him to the finals. Uh, David Fisdale, former NBA head coach, former Heat assistant, now an ESPN NBA analyst with us here on Spain and Fitz. Game one of the finals, by the way, Wednesday night, 8.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio, 9 Eastern on ABC. Uh, quickly still on this series, you know, we talk about Spo's coaching ability, this sort of underdog nature of this Heat team. It's incredibly deep, even though they don't have the superstars at the top. The Lakers, the exact opposite, right? The number one and number two players in the Ooh. series are both on their side, but the depth on the rest of that starting roster and even on the bench is lacking. How do you see these teams matching up? Wow, you hit it on the head. I, I said this before. I thought I was talking to Wolves, and it's like it's a tell of two teams. It really is. Like it's it's they it's it's like they just they're the opposite almost. And and I think that this is going to come down to the big the big 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 part of it is I think it's going to come down to Anthony Davis Bam Adebayo matchup. I think we know what LeBron is going to do. The Heat are going to make it miserable for LeBron, but LeBron's still going to get numbers and. The Heat got a lot of guys to throw at him, so I think they can impact him. But I think it's going to really come down to that matchup between Bam and, and Anthony Davis. And then I think it will trickle into, okay, who's the third and fourth guy? And that's where I think the Heat might have an advantage. They, the, the Lakers have that advantage in the, in the big two. But I think when you start getting to the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth guy, the Heat may have a slight advantage in that area. And that's what makes the series unique is how do these coaches put the right lineups on the floor so that they always have feel like they're putting their team in an advantageous position. And that's going to be the fun chess match. Frank and Spo have gone at it many times. And it's funny to see that Frank has LeBron now and Spo does it. So let's see what they do. <laughs> coach, you mentioned coaching. And obviously, as a former coach, you've always got your eye on that. Doc Rivers uh, let go earlier today from the Clippers. In your yeah. mind, what should the Clippers yeah. be looking for in their next head coach? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question because I just, you know, at the end of the day, you just, Doc Rivers is, is, you know, he's a guy that other coaches look up to and look to for leadership and look to for ideas and thoughts and things like that and mentorship. And so it's just really, you know, they're in a unique, precarious situation of how do you replace them? And I don't know how you replace the Doc Rivers. I mean, unless you pull in some people out of retirement, you're not really going to hit the credentials part of it. Um, you know, I think they should really – and this is just me, and I can't tell them what to do in, in their camp or whatever it may be, but I do think T. Lou should get real consideration when you're talking about a, a guy who won the title, had been to multiple, who has won his own as a player. He has all of the all of the winning pedigree that you want uh, your coach to have, and it's not a lot of those running around the league now that, that are still active, and so... Uh, you know, I don't know the circumstances of what led to Doc being fired and how that all went down, uh, but I would definitely love to see a, a Teron Lou uh, really get a sniff. But after that, I mean, it's only only the Clippers can tell you what they're looking for because I tell you what, yeah. they really, really they they let go of a, a, a great coach, and I think we all can what? say that, even though he's had his bumps from a three one losing three one series and all. You talking about a guy who's Tops of wins in the league, won a title. Like he, he, he's an elite coach. So it's that's a tough, that's a tough replacement. What do you think went wrong for the court 
on the court for them with Doc and that team? Denver. (laughs) 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 I just think that you you talk about, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's just a matchup thing sometimes where, you know, one, um, before I get into the matchup part of it, you got to give Mike Malone credit for keeping his team in the fight and keeping his team believing that they can beat all of these teams down 3-1. I think that right there alone is a uh, – he deserves the credit. But I think Denver just really was a, a difficult matchup for him because of who their stars were compared to Clippers' stars. Denver's stars were at the point and the five, whereas the Clippers' stars are at the two and the three. And I think the Clippers really had a difficult time figuring out the Jamal Murray Joker matchup. And cause they'd really ultimately never had an answer for him. I mean, they were, they were closing games with Kawhi and Paul George guarding those two guys so they could switch. And when you got to go to those links to avoid other people guarding the two best players, which Denver wasn't doing that Denver kept their matchups on them the whole consistently throughout the, the series. I think that's where ultimately the Clippers um, got overwhelmed in the series. And, you know, Clippers had their chances to put them away. They just couldn't keep them down. And, you know, for people that say that that Denver team is not a team of the future, they're crazy. Because just if you just take the two guys alone and what they bring to the table, that team is going to be in the mix for a long time. And as they continue to add quality pieces and upgrade pieces around them, and, you know, continue to, to, to trust and believe in Mike Malone, that team's got a chance to be dangerous moving forward. Coach, thanks so much for your time, my friend. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks, thanks for the insight. Stay safe. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. Sarah, a lot of NBA to get into. Game one of the NBA Finals Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. Radio, that's a new word, 9 Eastern on ABC. <laughs> so obviously with, ES, with, with us talking so much with the NBA and the expectation of the Finals, I mean, I think I'm not surprised we got the Lakers here. Uh, we, we all sort of saw that one coming. But let's be real, not many people were picking the heat to get here. So now you've got this contrasting styles. You've got the, the coach that everybody knows versus the young coach. You've got the superstars of the Lakers versus, uh, like David Fisto just said, the less star-laden team, uh, particularly with the heat. So it feels like there is a contrast of styles uh, in a final that I think is going to give us a hell of a matchup. Yeah, I look forward to getting into some of the uh, nitty-gritty on this. Players like Bam Adebayo that, uh, you know, certainly people who pay attention saw a, a, a pretty significant rise in his level of play and expected big things, but I don't think anyone could have really imagined him to be the difference maker he's been so far for the Heat in the bubble. And like we just talked to with Fisdale, you know, obviously Anthony Davis, LeBron James, a very difficult duo to beat, but once you get past those guys, it's a whole different story for those Lakers. And we've seen the Heat being deep at almost every position um, and can kill you with different guys every night. Um, Bam is an example of that. And that matchup with Anthony Davis is going to be huge for a young guy, a a guy that Ramona Shelburne on the Hoop Collective podcast uh, has said could be the best in the game in a couple years. When you watch him play, you forget like, oh, he's got a handle. Oh, he's a good passer. Oh, he like there's all these other things that Bam can do that when you look at him as just a big or a, you know, a, a shot blocker or a defensive stopper who's great going downhill. You forget he has all that other game, and it's kind of fun to watch. I also 
I mean, five years from now, we might be like, oh, he's the best player in the game. I, I don't know where his ceiling is because I don't think he's there yet. That's a strong statement to make that mm-hmm. he could be the best. I mean, we forget how young so much of the core NBA superstars are. So, I, I mean, I think that's... Should we put her in hot take, good take, or... No, she's she's too damn smart to put in anything other than good take in my mind. Like I, I'm not going to fight that one at all. But no, I, I do think it's it's a it's a substantial statement, and there has been sort of the growth of the household name star power. Let's say it that way for him throughout the bubble process because he's been so good. And one thing that you know you mentioned about the Heat and it really comes to mind when you talk about the Lakers. You know they're too deep. We all know that. But the Lakers have also been at times inconsistent in the playoff process in their overall effort in the bubble. There's been times we've questioned the aggressiveness in certain games, things like that. I don't feel like we necessarily have those same comments on the Heat. I'm interested to see mm-hmm. if the Lakers have, ne- have, have found a gear that they will stay in for the duration of a series. Yeah, I mean, the Heat in the bubble have been hotter than any other team, and that includes the Nuggets. Because the Nuggets, some of their shine came from their ability to come back. The, the Heat never had to come back. They have just been systematically downing other teams since before the playoffs started. Every game in the bubble was a business trip for Jimmy Butler and company. And again, I, I keep coming back to this, but on a given night, it was Goran Dragic putting up 20-plus for game after game. Then, you know, it's Bam who steps up and establishes himself as someone who can do so much more than what you might have thought. Jimmy Butler, in his first time as the true official number one leader of a team, you know, number one option, you know, two-way kind of centerpiece guy, not only leading in terms of his his, his play, but beyond that, right, in, in the attitude that this team brought to the court every night. Tyler Hero, right? Tyler Hero, who I don't know if you saw the incredible tweet uh, of um, – of Tyler Hero thinking, you know, he may not be, uh, I think it was, no, no, I'm, I'm mixing him up. It's Duncan Robinson, the, the Duncan Robinson, uh, thing that he sent out, uh, uh, saying, you know, I think my career's probably coming into an end after college basketball here. I'd really like to get into sports media, you know, sent a message to Titus from, you know, Club Trail saying, if I could get on the co- phone with you and, and learn about what it is you do for your job. And here he is in the NBA finals, right? Like there's all these amazing, cool stories for, uh, behind the scenes for these Heat players. Um, and it's just, it's, it, it makes it really fun to talk about. I hope the actual series matches up to the excitement leading up to it. I think it will, Sarah. I, I mean, first of all, nothing's been easy in the bubble for anybody, right? It just it, That's one thing that has made the playoff process, I think, frankly, more enjoyable is that uh, there's been such a lack of predictability to it. But the other side of it is there is a tenacity that I think is just going to make this the, a, a difficult series. And, and part of what I see when I see the heat is the ability to agitate. I mean, I think that they are going to have the ability to get under the Lakers' skin. Now, I've said through every series when we've talked about it, I've said that, you know, hey, if this is the year of the dynamic duo, no duo's better than the Lakers. It's simple. So I've seen every one of these series so far as a clear-cut, hey, I'm just, I'm banking on the Lakers. They're the better team. This is the first series where I got to step back and say, I, I don't know that it's that easy. And there's just a level of the way the Heat have played throughout the course of the bubble that's hard for me to think isn't going to win them a championship, which would feel very 2020 for the Heat to beat the Lakers. It like for the gritty team, the like the team that's just surviving to beat, you know, the, the fancy swanky Lakers would just feel very 2020. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are very opposite teams in both construction and, and, and everything else. I mean, Kirk Goldsberry was on the Hoop Collective podcast and talked about how Pat Riley somehow in the midst of all this made an anti-super team. 
And that's really interesting to me. The idea that like we kept saying you need two superstars, you need maybe three superstars. And instead you have Butler who bounced around and then a bunch of guys that are outperforming expectations. It's wild. Yeah. I'm going to break down the fourth wall, by the way. Uh, I can't find the tweet that we need to find. So uh, you might uh, be able I to. I have it okay, for you. Perfect. Yeah. Read so the- news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Gail. Our buddy Gail sent us a tweet. Uh, great interview after our interview with Michelle Roberts. Just listening to her makes me feel safer and more strong. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gail. She just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. We love hearing from Gail. We love hearing from all of you, so keep it coming. Yeah, that is spectacular work uh, on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. And by the way, Sarah said it, but I'll echo the sentiment. One of the coolest things that we have is that there's so many of you that loyally hit us up and listen all the time. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.